Hi, this is Claudia Gray, and you're listening to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is the story of Star Wars. You can read along with me in your book. O is for Obi-Wan Kenobi. All rebel fighters met at fleet headquarters to plan their attack. Princess Leia addressed them. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Hello, I am C-3PO, and you are about to listen to the story of Star Wars. Another chapter is here. Welcome to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I am here with my co-host. She's so fly, she makes Lando look like an ostrich. It's Lindsay. <laughs> I had to think about that for a second, but that's good. Right? Because ostriches don't don't fly. I know. I know. That's why it was one of those like, wait, uh, I like that. that approved. Had to pull in the Lando, though, because uh, today is the long-awaited return of the Sith. We are talking about Shadow of the Sith by Adam Christopher, and I am really excited for this one because, as many of you know, Lindsay and I have slightly different opinions on uh, the movie that this most impacts, The Rise of Skywalker. (laughs) So we're going to get into that in a minute because it has been a while, Lindsay, since you and I have been able to sit down. You've had a lot going on. I've had a lot going on. So even though this technically isn't the Clashing Sabers flagship show... I'm going to ask you, what have you been Star Warsing lately? Man, oh man. So for me, um, I guess we'll, we'll even tie it into the fact that, yeah, I've had a lot going on. I have a whole new house. Um, so in my unpacking and my, or I guess my packing and my unpacking and my organizing and trying to set up a new Star Wars room, I've actually been having a really good time just being a little bit nostalgic and going through all of my stuff, whether it's from when I was a little kid that I got or just more recently at Galaxy's Edge and some of the lightsabers. it's It's been a really fun couple of months of every single time just opening up a, a box and being like, oh my God, I remember when I got this. I remember playing with this. Or I remember going down to, to Florida with some friends. So I've kind of just been on the, the good old-fashioned nostalgia Star Wars trip lately. I feel like that kind of fits in, you know, with with what we're talking about today about like feelings and emotions being attached to uh, particular items. Um, so we've had a lot of books come out lately and uh, just kind of want your feel on where do you think the, the state of Star Wars books is right now as we are kind of we're hitting this last uh, surge of books before we get into High Republic and we know. You know, everybody talks about High Republic and everything like that. How are you feeling about Star Wars books overall? Do you feel like we're in a good place? Yeah, I think High Republic kind of gave us a much-needed break from the norm. And then in the the intermission, I guess, between Phase 1 and Phase 2, the stuff that they've put out in this time is just so good. You know, I'm I'm a little iffy still on the the Queen's Hope Queen Shadow, <laughs> whichever Queen book it was since then. Um, but for the most part, yeah, the the stuff that we're getting with the mainstream Skywalker saga has just been hit after hit for me. And what we're going to discuss tonight, Shadow of the Sith, is absolutely going going on that trend. Um, you know, I still think that Brotherhood is the best book we've gotten in quite some time, but this is just phenomenal for so many reasons. But I think that they have really been able to bring in a whole bench full of new authors and give them this this playground to really strut their stuff. And and everyone's done it. You know, everything feels so unique to the author but still so in line with Star Wars and what we've come to expect. So I think we're we're kind of back on track. I think the books, for a little while, were getting a bit lackluster, but we, we are back in full swing now. Yeah, and I kind of wonder if this is circumstance, or just like coincidence, rather, or intentional, but a lot of the stuff that we're getting now is adding to the character's that we're getting in other content. So what I mean by that Mm -hmm. is like Brotherhood obviously was released 
to go along with the the Kenobi show to add some more there. But I don't know if you're if you're into Padawan yet. But it, Padawan adds a whole lot to that also uh, when you are just thinking about what Obi Wan goes through. And I know it's one of those things where Star Wars is iterative storytelling, so everything's going to add something. But it just feels very strategic that we're getting, uh, you know, these stories about Kenobi uh, around the Kenobi show. And then we're getting things like Princess and the Scoundrel when we're going to get stuff about the Rebellion. And it's almost like, you know, the Cassian show is coming out and it's going to be dark. So they're balancing it a little bit with uh, Princess and the Scoundrel and stuff like it just feels a lot more tactical to me than they were doing before. Uh, and I think that's to the, you know, we should thank the High Republic for that, like giving them the idea of putting a plan together about how they're going to release things and not just saying, all right, well, this is when this one's releasing and then we'll just release this one because it's ready next. You know, like there was a lot in the early, you know, years of Star Wars, com- uh, excuse me, Star Wars literature, like, things would be announced and then moved and moved again mm-hmm. and shifted up and shifted down. And it was just hard to keep up with, like, you think about uh, the Alphabet Squadron books was supposed to have this TIE Fighter companion comic, and that made it through, like, one arc, and then they were like, mm, nah. You know? It just it was, didn't really work. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, like, it's okay to have things that don't work and stuff like that, but if you have things that don't work and then you do nothing about them to fix the situation, that's where the problem rises. And in, to me, it's become very clear that they're learning from the mistakes they've they've made in terms of Star Wars publishing, um, and they're feeding a little bit of everything for everyone. And, and I like that we're getting these phases where, all right, here are these one-off books, and then we're going to get into High Republic, and then I'm sure we'll get another set of... Uh, so everybody has a chance to get fed, you know? I was on a Facebook group, uh, you know, book group yesterday. And they were asking, you know, out of the four books, the Brotherhood, Princess and the Scoundrel, Padawan, and Shadow of the Sith, like, what's the order that you rank them in? And other than Brotherhood, because that's a legit easy number one, I was like, all of these could really be in flux depending on on how I feel on the day. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's something really exciting because even though I... I do love the High Republic and I really enjoy it. I haven't been as high on it as everybody else has been. And so I like that now I can have this other set of books that I am really high on. You know, like, okay, the, these one-off character study books are my jam. I've, I've said that forever. And so I love High Republic and I enjoy, you know, when High Republic comes out. But then I also get fed with this this part of of my fandom of really delving into these characters is really, really exciting. Yeah. I feel like high Republic was kind of at where the mainstream. And when I say mainstream, I really just do mean it takes place in the Skywalker saga. Um, I think that high Republic is right now at a point where the mainstream books were in that maybe it's good. Maybe it's not, maybe it's for you. Maybe it's not. And it was, it was really kind of a crapshoot in terms of what you were going to get depending on the author where now I, because I think you're right about they rely very heavily on the comics to be that additional flavor, right? And and to your point, Alphabet Squadron was supposed to have the the Thai comic book. Started to happen, didn't happen. And just because of the fan base, that was allowed right that is something where you kind of got to know the inside baseball of star wars and what's going on over at lucasfilm and at disney and at del rey difference is now that's only happening in high republic because the mainstream story to your other point is getting true mainstream media attention because it's on disney plus and because of the success of the mandalorian and because of how good Kenobi turned out to be. Um, but I, I think now it's, hey, look, there's more eyes on this. We have to stick to certain schedules and we have to give people good material to go with it. And it has to be matching, but not so much where if you don't read Princess and the Scoundrel, but you want to watch Andor, you can. Or if you don't read Brotherhood and you want to watch Kenobi, you can. Even, even this, Shadow of the Sith... I am going to be amazed to see any tie-ins to like the Acolyte one day, but you don't have to have this 
to enjoy those or vice versa. Uh, so, so I think that, yeah, it's, they had to finally reach this stride and they had to figure it out because it's Disney plus and because of how successful these shows have been. Yeah. And like, I hope that this is a, a sign for them about how to handle future, the future in publishing outside of high Republic, because like Kenobi, I've always liked and respected Obi-Wan, but he's never been one of my favorite characters. But getting all of this content from different points in his life around the same time has really, like, shot him up my list of characters that I really enjoy and relate to. And I think about getting that for Andor. I think about getting that for the Acolyte and all these other things. And like you said, it doesn't have to be a direct tie-in like we don't have to have a mandalorian novel but if we had a uh, a bo-katan book come out around the time of season three of the mandalorian that would be really cool just different yes. things like that yeah because as much as they said you know high republic you can get into it as much you know to whatever level you want to I, I, I don't know if you can. I kind of feel like, at least if you're going to be in the the deeper Star Wars community like we are, you kind of have to read all the major things or you miss stuff. Like, I, I know I'm missing stuff by not reading the comics, and I have to go look stuff up to make sure I keep up with what's going on in the comics because they do have stuff in there that affects the books Mm -hmm. and so it makes them a lot more high risk in terms of i have to read this but i may or may not like it and Mm -hmm. that's going to affect how i see the other books whereas these one-off books if i hated princess and the scoundrel i didn't spoiler alert that doesn't (laughs) affect how i feel about shadow of the sith right and that allows for shadow of the sith to have an impact on Rise of Skywalker without being without Princess and the Scoundrel detracting from yeah. Rise of Skywalker. You know what I mean? Like it's it it's an easier balance where the the one-off books become more reward and less risk, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. Like I want to go into books sometimes going, oh, this is about Han and Leia getting married. I'm here for it. This is about mm-hmm. Luke dealing with the Sith. I'm here for it. Like, I don't think that's a negative thing. I don't think it, it's fan service or anything like that if they are doing it with intention and direction. But see, now you kind of open this up for me because you said it, not me, you, or at least you alluded to it. It sounds like maybe Shadow of the Sith changed how you saw um, Rise of Skywalker. That may or may not allegedly have happened. We will see. Let's jump into it. Let's jump into it. I'm so excited. Okay. So for those of you who have not joined us before on Don't Burn the Sacred Text, we do our ratings before we talk about the books. And then we discuss them and then we rate them again at the end to see uh, what how our feelings may or may not have changed. So, Lindsay, go for it. All right. I'm also going to I'm going to chuckle here because I'm really happy now, too, that we we spent some time talking about our ebbs and flows the past few years with some of these books that have come out, Um, because I feel like a few years ago I was giving every single book like four out of five. And then we got into this this Thrawn age where I was like "Eh, two out of five, three out of five. Last couple of books I've given four out of five and I'm going to do it again here. This to me was a four out of five. Yeah, it was the same for me, and it is it is a solid four out of five. Like, Yeah, yeah. this is not like a wishy-washy No, this one. isn't like, I really yeah. liked it, but I'm, I could be swayed to down. Like, if anything in this conversation, I, I think I would be swayed. It would take a lot more to pull me down than to be swayed. Let's go. Let's go. Okay, like, but then did, did it change your opinion on Rise of Skywalker, or am I jumping jumping the gun here? Uh, no, I think we can start there. It's hard for me to say exactly, because truth be told, everything's been so busy, I haven't had a chance to sit down and watch Rise of Skywalker since reading the book. Okay. But it does... I don't think it necessarily negates the problems that Rise of Skywalker has. It doesn't make the the issues that I had with them forgivable. 
it makes them less damaging. Uh, and it gives me, while it's still, it, it doesn't fully, the book doesn't fully unite the sequel trilogy. And like, I honestly just straight up don't think that that's a possibility. I think it's just, there's too many different things going in too many different directions that we're going to spend the rest of our lives trying to figure out how the pieces go together. I like doing that in Star Wars, so it doesn't really bother me. But it adds depth to the characters in Rise of Skywalker. It gives more reasoning and understanding for the galaxy around it. So just as a as a point in time in the galaxy and things that were going on, yes, this improved my opinion of the Rise of Skywalker. Okay. I'm going to refrain from saying 100% it made me fall in love with Rise of Skywalker or anything like that because, again, I haven't watched it since then. But from everything I can think of that I remember from the film, which I remember, I've watched it pretty regularly. Like, I remember the film. It makes things that I felt like were rushed or didn't make sense have some value. And that is something that I think is a, a testament to Adam Christopher. Like, I think he absolutely crushed this book this is one of the most fun adventure books that i think star wars has ever produced i i mean i would have to agree and i'm happy that you said it because i think i would have been fearful that i was biased had you said it or had you not said it um because to me like you know i actually really do love Skywalker. That is one of, I think, our, our biggest constant arguments as friends is where we fall on this movie. Um, I absolutely love it. Because of that, and, and I think here was my fear and, and what I was really interested in in talking to you now, is I wish this book had come out first because the way um, Duel of the Fates, you know, that script was leaked and everyone got so hyped up because yeah, it's, it's Mortis. We're going back to Mortis. This is a place we know. This is a place we've been interested in for a while. And instead we got Exegol, which just seemed totally out of nowhere for everyone. And I think that was, was a big piece of everyone's gripe with that movie. I would have loved for this to have come out first. So this way it's the excitement of, oh, cool, we're going back to Exegol. You know, I've always wondered more about this place. And and just having that and understanding some more of these, these machinations on Palpatine's side that were going on, I think would have been such a more compelling story for, for so many people. So I love this. It didn't necessarily give me more or change my opinion on Rise of Skywalker because I already loved it. I just wish that this came out first so more people were as excited about it as I was. See, and I strongly disagree on that. Really? Why why is that? Because I think, one, I don't think Adam Christopher could have successfully written this book without seeing the entirety of Rise of Skywalker like actually on screen. That's one. Two, I... I think Exegol is something that needs to be seen visually first if we're going to look specifically at that. And okay, fair. You add the mystery there. But most strongly because the gaps in storytelling in Rise of Skywalker made me want to explore more. And I don't know if those gaps were filled in for me before the movie that it would have had the same effect. I think it would have, like, let's take Ochi, for example. I thought Ochi in the movie is just the most ridiculous, stupid thing ever. But when <laughs> once you give me Ochi in the book, and he is this like slowly deteriorating, unhinged, desperate, egotistical antagonist, it makes me go, okay. So that little part that I saw in the movie, there's actually all this other stuff over here that makes me appreciate it. I think if it was the reverse, I would have said, well, why didn't they just put this stuff in the movie? This is the good part. Okay, all right. That much I'll give you. I'll I'll definitely give you Exegol has to be done visually the first time, but to Adam Christopher's, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Credit. 
to his credit, thank you. He did an incredible job painting that picture as oh, best yeah. you could. This book is written so ridiculously well that there was not a single moment in the book where I had trouble visualizing things. No, not at all. And, and especially, and you know this, I say this all the time with books like Alphabet, where I have such trouble, no matter how well it is written, I sometimes have such trouble picturing things like battle scenes or chase scenes. You know, that was a really big thing with Aftermath for me, was no matter what, I felt like I just couldn't picture what what Chuck Winding was trying to do in terms of the the position that the Star Destroyer was in, and it was at this angle, and everyone was coming in at this speed. I have such trouble staying focused and interested sometimes during fight scenes in a book. I did not have that problem whatsoever with um, Shadow of the Sith. Yeah. Everything was so clear. It was so fast-paced and interesting, but you keep up the entire time and you know exactly where you are and when you are. And, And mind you, like, it's jumping timelines... It's jumping characters. It's jumping characters and timelines at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's talking about both the actual like physical things that are happening there and also weird force stuff. Like yeah. it's not an easy task to be able to pull that off. Like it's not just, oh, you know, he had a good framework and Exegol was, you know, already visually stunning, so it was easy to describe. I almost wonder if Adam Christopher sat down and go and, and was like, how can I make this the most challenging book I've ever had to write just to see if I can do it, right? Because it's, like, it's almost like like it's high stakes because you've got Luke Skywalker, but it's also like, and I say this respectfully to the people that like Rise of Skywalker, but it's kind of like, well, Rise of Skywalker is not the best anyways, so I can't make it worse, right? Like it's, it's almost like there's so much to gain and so little to lose that it's just like he was like, I'm just going to show off and – he went off, and it's fantastic. It's written so well. You never – there was never a point where I was like, wait, what happened in the then for Lando? Oh, yeah. Like, it mm-hmm. was automatic when I was reading it. And that just – especially with everything that I have going on in my life right now. Like, life is crazy right now. So I'm having to go back and, like, look back, you know, and reread some pages and stuff to refresh my memory about what happened. Not once. I tore through this book. Uh, it was but just no, so and, and I know you, you kind of make the jab at, you know, Rise of Skywalker and, and you can't make it worse. But I think that's all the more reason why this had to be done perfectly because it's the chance to make it better. No, I think I, I don't disagree with that point either. Yeah. Like, I think both of those things can exist at the same time. Like, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like it's it's a weird balance. And and that's the thing with Rise of Skywalker as a film, you know, like I've said many times when I'm just watching Rise of Skywalker, I love Rise of Skywalker. When I think about Rise of Skywalker in the grander scheme of things, that's when I start to go, mm, you know, well, but when I'm yeah. watching it, it's a great fun adventure. And that's that's something I think that Christopher did really well is JJ had a very distinct like visual style and feel for Rise of Skywalker and I was just automatically placed back in that kind of feeling but also even in terms of like Ray's backstory and finally getting to meet her parents like that's something where I think if you had that emotional connection going into Rise of Skywalker people would have been so much more not just intrigued by it, but so much more lenient with it and so much more forgiving. And, and just that would have been such a smoother process had we had this before, because like, let's get into some of those characters. I know you, you brought up OG already and and your thoughts there. What were some of your thoughts on Ray's parents and that entire storyline? I loved it. Uh, I thought it was the, strongest of the storylines overall yeah yeah because i think like luke's storyline had some high points and and i don't want to say low points but 
a little more boring points. Yeah, um, it had its own. But this is yeah. yeah, but that that storyline to your point, like I I totally agree with. But I'm sorry, I cut you off. I'll let you. No, I, I I was just in my violent agreement. Yeah, right. Like you're, I, I figure, if I start talking about Ray, then you're going to be jumping in quite a bit. Um, no, but I I think Ray's parents clearly show like the two halves of her. Uh, her her mom is the smart. She's crafty, and she has total faith in the one she loves. She's got that mechanical uh, side of things. And Dathan, the the dad, wants to do right by the people he loves and is willing to do literally whatever it takes, including sacrificing his own wants and needs to make sure that they're safe. That is Ray. Like, if, if you just, like, read the first paragraph on uh, Wikipedia, like, that would be the character traits of Ray, just perfectly laid out. And, like, I think that that is very intentional, obviously, but I appreciate that because Ray is such a, what's the right way to say it? She's a pieced together character. And I don't say that disrespectfully because I absolutely love Ray. But she was kind of, her arc was kind of pieced together as the stories were developing. And it wasn't reverse engineered like Kylo Ren's was. And so to be able to make that feel cohesive, I feel like this really wrapped Ray into a complete like, Here's the complete story of Ray. You know, like we understand where she came comes from. She under we understand why she is the way that she is and why despite being a quote unquote palpatine, she was able to overcome that because even the little bit of time that she did get to spend with them, they instilled goodness in her and that continued on after they were gone. Yeah, well not just cohesive but true really and truly full circle because i think one of the the things that really always intrigued me with that story is of course the lineage of you know is it her dad or her mom that's that's palpatine's kid how did palpatine have a kid with who so number one i'm happy that on the dad side that kind of clarified like all right he's he's a clone um but more importantly, what I found really, really beautiful was the fact that we spend three stories of Ray not having a home and Ray trying to find a home through people that she loves, whereas her mom very clearly had this home that she did love and she still thinks about often, but she left for the people that she loves. So I'm just really happy we got to see that full circle, leaving a home for people you love and then finding one. Um, for the same reason. So I thought that was that was a really, really nice story to be told. Yeah. And you've got to think about the fact that the little bit that we have about her parents in the sequel trilogy, the two things we had are basically they were junk traders who threw you away for drinking money and that they basically sold you to Uncarplut. Like those are the, the points that we have, of points of reference for her parents in the movie. So to write them in a book and to get the audience to actually not only care for them, not only root for them, but understand and empathize with the decision mm-hmm. that they decision they made. Forgive them even. I mean, yeah, like I was stunned. If you had told me that I was going to appreciate Uncar Plutt Yep. In 2017, when The Force Awakens came out, I would have laughed you off the stage. Like, the perfect way to pull in a character like that. It's a perfect way to explain. I think what, what Adam Christopher did is he said, all right, this book is attached to Rise of Skywalker, so I'm going to go with the, rise, the way the Rise of Skywalker tells the story. And he focused on telling the backstory that links directly with the backstory that was given in Rise of Skywalker. And I think that was an excellent decision. I think it would have been foolhardy to try and bring together the the opposing stories that happened in uh, Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, but he also does it in such an organic way where, like you were talking about before, he has this beautiful prose and it's, it's so easy to understand and follow. There are certain other authors in the Star Wars universe 
you know, I think this is something we see in like Thrawn books all the time, where a story is being told in a really mechanical way because we have to hit certain plot points. At no point in in this storyline or in the Luke Lando storyline or anything, at no point did it feel like this story was just hitting certain plot points for expositional reasons. It just all felt so natural and so organic and really does stand on its own, in my opinion. When they were releasing like the the previews of the books and stuff, because I I don't just like the trailers, I don't read the backs of the book anymore or anything like that. Like I get the very basic of like, you know, this is a Luke and Lando adventure centered around the events of Rise of Skywalker. That's what I knew about Shadow of the Sith going in. So and I knew that her parents got names, but I didn't know that there was going to be a whole storyline with them. Was that? common knowledge going into this book like did they Uh, announce that i don't i don't think so okay because like that is a ballsy move even even the first like chapter when i when i first read their names and was introduced i was so excited but my immediate thought was all right like don't get hyped for this and then they they became characters they became (laughs) characters and they became the 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 centerpieces of the book like yes it's a luke and lando book but this whole entire story revolves around mm-hmm. Ray's parents and the decisions that they make and the timing well, of the decisions that they make. The Not just the whole story, though, because if you think about it, and, and this didn't really hit me so hard until a few weeks ago, Zach asked me if he should read this. And Zach, the Lord of Lore, or, like, you know, he said he was going to read it, obviously, but, like, uh, uh, how far up on the priority list is it? Because he was training for, I mean, (laughs) all the crazy stuff he's been doing. You know, he just did a two-day Spartan race in Hawaii. So he was training for that and traveling for that. And I was like, dude, you got to make this the top priority. Because you, of all people, have been waiting for this book forever. Because since Claudia Gray's Master and Apprentice, I don't think we have had a single book go into so much lore. Even in High Republic, we get nothing about, you know, the Sith and we and we don't really understand. Yeah, there's books where we understand things like the Force and what it means. But I, I cannot think of anything other than Master and Apprentice where we really do dive into, here is the history of these secret organizations. And even Master and Apprentice is nothing compared to the stuff we find out about the lore and what is going to unfold with the history of the Sith as we do in this book. Yeah. I mean, I'd have to look at like a a list of all the books to come up with a, whether I would completely agree with that statement or not, but I definitely think that they are at, at the very least they're in the same arena and in the same conversation. Like they belong together in that. Maybe force collector, if anything. Yeah. Like there's some, some little things that I think, uh, added a lot but just in one sitting it it really did it added a ton to the lore and i want to get into luke and lando in a minute but let's talk about lando and ochi first because i think these two characters if you had told me that the thing i would be most interested in a book with luke skywalker would be ochi a bastoon and lando wouldn't have believed you but i love how they are set up as opposing characters if you will because ochi goes from desperate to hopeful to deranged and lando goes from desperate to hopeful to even to to purposeful right and it's all about the decisions that they make ochi gets this dagger he gets this mission by the sith eternal when he's on a junk planet when he's on a trash planet, rather, like he's literally sifting through the trash on an a, an entire planet of trash, trying to find this dagger that'll get him to Exegol. Like he's he's at that point in in the timeline, he's not insane enough to really think he's going to find that dagger. He knows his his hopes and dreams are gone. He's just clinging to the little bit that he has left, like his. Life is literally down in the dumps. And <laughs> I mean, literally. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> and and then he gets this dagger and it gives him hope. 
but because he attached his hope to the wrong thing and he put it in power instead of in people, he slowly becomes more and more deranged and unhinged and desperate. And on the flip side, Lando puts his faith in people and even though things continue to go wrong and go wrong and go wrong, he has the support system and he has the faith of others that this is the right thing to do even if, and and this is the important part of it, even if we don't win the day. That believing in the peop- in people, in doing the right thing, in putting others above ourselves, even though we are bringing our own trauma into it, we are putting others above ourselves, that is going to get us in the position we need to be in for whatever we need to be, wherever we need to be. And we see that pay off in Rise of Skywalker. Like, Ochi starts this story on a trash planet, and then he ends the story sinking into the sinking fields and dying. And Lando almost has like a Jedi-like path in a very short span of time where he has lost everything. You know, he's lost his daughter, kind of like Order 66, and he's desperately clinging to anything he can find to continue to help him find it, which we've seen with uh, Jedi that survived Order 66 continually. And then he almost goes into a uh, a recluse, a... a hermit type life waiting for that moment when he's going to be needed again because he knows he's going to be needed again and he just needs to be in the right position which is very much you know like an obi-wan kind of thing and i just absolutely loved that and lando in rise of skywalker was one of the harder things to get behind just because he i felt like all right well han luke and leia have all had roles and then lando's just like back chilling why will why didn't he show up sooner? Why is he randomly on Pasana? Like, oh, he just happens to be here. No, he's there for a reason. He's there because he's going to be there when the story picks up. And when the trail picks up, he's going to be in position and he's not going to give up hope because he's had that reinstilled in him by seeing how hard Ray's parents fought for her, by seeing how much Luke believed in what he was doing, by seeing how much, uh, what was her name? The Acolyte. Uh, Kiva, Kira, no. Kiva, yes. Yeah, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Kiva. I feel like Kiva's something, from something else, too, though. There's a, there were a few I names. Gotta check, but, I feel like Kiva's, Kiva's from, like, Legends or something. Something like that, yeah. But by seeing all of those characters and, and the choices that they made and, and that they were able, particularly with the Acolyte, to make the wrong choice and then do something about it and that being alone and in isolation isn't necessarily a bad thing if it puts you in the position to be a benefit of others. Like, all of those things just came together perfectly for me. Yeah, you know, it's it's so funny when you put it that way because it seems like it should be the most obvious, like, you know, mirroring of itself. But that completely went over my head. I think maybe because I, I'm... To my fault, I've never really been, like, the biggest Lando fan in the world where I'm sitting there, like, seeing what comes next with him. I do think Adam Christopher definitely wrote him better than anyone else we've seen write him. Um, It felt very natural and very forced and, like, less of an annoying showy character, so I like that. But, no, I think those are really beautiful points you made that kind of highlights maybe why subconsciously I did like him a lot more in this story. Yeah. He was a lot more relatable in this story. Like, I I don't know if it's just happens naturally with getting older, but the older I get, the more I appreciate the older characters because I get, I I think just as we get older, we see that we fail. Like the hero's journey is not a one stop thing and ta-da, you've got it. You have to keep the hope and you have to keep pushing forward and you have to believe when nothing points to it that the thing that you care about is still out there. Like he believes his daughter is still out there and he believes that 
if he is doing this, if he's following these trails, he will find her. As much as he kind of lets himself off, kind of in the the beginning of the book, where he's like, I kind of, you kind of get the sense that he knows he's not going to find her, but he's doing it because he kind of has to. At the end of the book, he's doing it again because he wants to. And, that, and that's not to say that he's a bad father or anything like that, but years of searching for someone and not finding them, you're going to get down in the dumps, yeah. you know? But when you lean on the people around you and the people that care about you, it makes a difference and it gives you that inspiration to keep going forward. So Yeah, well, it's that. like he was on autopilot for so long. Yes. And I think that's that's kind of one of the other interesting things where, yeah, it's easy to see someone who's given up. I mean, look at Luke in Last Jedi. Like, you know, you, you see someone who's really and truly given up and, and called it in quits. But for him, it was interesting because you didn't really get that from him. It was just like, a, oh, he's he's going through the motions. Yeah, he, he basically says that he's just sitting there waiting to die. Yeah, it's like being in a failing relationship with someone. And you're like, oh, like, I don't really have a reason to break up with them. Yeah. Well, and- yeah. You know, Lando goes back like Han and Leia say in Force Awakens, I went back to the only thing that I knew. You know, he went back to the only thing he knew. And it's interesting to me that, like, Ochi starts in the literal trash, but Lando starts in the trash, too. Like, he he starts in the trashy part of the galaxy. Like, is he really going to find his daughter by playing Sabacc? Like, or is he just... You know, going, well, I'm surrounded by trash, so I guess I am trash. You know, Mm -hmm. like, that's what I see when I look at those two characters. And that's, like, that's probably, and this is crazy to say, probably my favorite part of the book is the the parallel between Ochi and Lando. Which, if you told me that a while ago, I never would have believed you. Because I couldn't care less about Ochi in, in Rise of Skywalker and Lando... I like him when he's on screen, but I don't really think about him otherwise. Dude, had you t- you told me an hour ago before we started recording that that was your favorite part of the book, I wouldn't have believed it. But when you when you put it that way and you explain it, then yeah, of course it makes sense. But no, I, I totally believe why a few months ago you would not have thought that. So let's delve into uh, another part of the book that I really love, and that is the Luke stuff. Because when we're talking about lore and just... Like, the stuff that you and I come to Star Wars for, of the Force and the Jedi mm-hmm. and Sith and the struggle between the two, like, this one delivered. There was some really cool stuff here, and not even so much, like, in, uh, oh, they just did this because it was easy. I think, I think I fall into this a lot, where when we're doing these reviews, I get so annoyed with things, because I'm like, yeah, of course they did that, it was easy. But this was all stuff we have seen some somehow in the past just elevated. You know, like the visions. We've seen that with Anakin. The psychometry. We've seen, seen in Dark Disciple. Like, all of this we've seen, and now it's just heightened in a way that makes so much sense and ties in so many other things. You know, we finally got a tie-in to Luke's part in the Battlefront 2 storyline. We finally start to see... More Santeca. And and I think I kind of want to go back now that I mentioned it, too. I think there might even be a few tie-ins to Force Collector. But all of this this stuff, the Force abilities and the stuff that we are learning, all ties in together and in such a cool way. And one of the other biggest things here is we didn't linger any place, both literally and physically, for too long. I really did assume... That when we met Luke, he would just be at the temple the entire time. And then we went to the archaeological dig. And I really did think he would just be there the whole time. But each place and each step on his journey served a true purpose. Gave us something about the Force and tied something else in. And then moved on. I think one of the hard things with dealing with a character like Luke Skywalker is you want to do everything with him. Like, Mm -hmm. you, as a creator... You kind of get the the idea. I I get to deal with Luke Skywalker once. Like, you get one shot, and you you can't mess it up. So it's almost like you want to do everything with him, and and it's easy to get greedy, right? (laughs) If you just listed out all the things that Adam Christopher put in here with Luke, Exegol, 
Tython, Anakin, uh, Sith Alchemy, uh, what's it called? The Mask and and all of the mm-hmm. treasures and stuff that he's going hunting for. The, the Jedi Temple, Ben Solo, like... The list is basically like a wish list of what everybody would want to write about for Luke Skywalker in this time period. And Adam Christopher gave us enough to satisfy us without weighing down the rest of the book to just be like, here's Luke Skywalker stuff. Yeah. Because I just I get to tell it now. So I'm going to tell all of it because that way it goes my way. No, we got a little bit with Ben Solo. We got a little bit at the Jedi Temple. And even though it was a little bit it feeds into the larger storyline. like Exactly. And no, you don't get to the end of the, the book and you're like, oh, those were cool 20 pages, like with Anakin. You know, like, oh, that was cool, but why? Like right. every everything served a purpose. Well, like with, with Ben, he kind of, you know, he's dealing with his own stuff and he kind of brushes him aside almost. And it he's not intentionally doing it in a a negative way or anything like that. But for someone like Ben Solo, who has so much pressure on him, you could see how Luke just kind of brushing him off could stick with him and make him easier Mm -hmm. to break. Didn't Mm -hmm. need to make a whole scene of it. Didn't need to make a whole thing of it. You developed Luke's storyline while at the same time adding to that storyline from the films. Yeah. That kind of stuff is is. I think this is something where I know I said I wish it had come out before Rise of Skywalker, and I still do. Um, but this is something where I think as more and more stuff comes out, we're going to be able to point to this book and be like, oh, yeah, here's why. You know, whether it is, I'm, I'm telling you now, when the accolade comes back, it comes out, we have to come back to this book and, and do like a quick reread beforehand because I think a lot of it's going to tie in. But as more stuff to, the, to your point comes out about Ben and, and his transformation, or even as more stuff comes out about, you know, Ray and, and her journey, I think we're going to be able to go back and point to this and say, this is why now it makes sense. It wasn't just an easy layup for this one author to put in. Adam Christopher is the one who went in and, and laid that groundwork. Yeah. And I mean, with the Acolyte, there's so much potential and Exegol is becoming such a big thing in their storytelling i wouldn't be surprised if we go back there i hope we do i i hope we do too it's possibly my favorite of all of the star wars planets like i just absolutely love it and i think they could do a lot of cool stuff with it now with the volume and everything like that you don't have to put so much into building the sets and everything but the like luke going to tython in order to meditate and try to find Mm -hmm his path gets you thinking about, okay, like Luke had been there. So of course he would understand the connection that Grogu was making and that would make sense to him. And he would know what to do about that because he's, he knows about Tython, right? Or depending on how you line it up, you could also make the argument that, oh, he learned about Tython from Grogu. Like Grogu showed him more about being a, like, it adds all this depth to stuff that you're like, this doesn't have anything to do with the book. But he doesn't do it in a way that detracts from no. the rest of the storyline. And I, I mean, I, I just, I, I cannot praise Adam Christopher enough for this because I know if I was writing this book, I would have spent like seven chapters on Luke and Anakin just hanging out and having conversations. And he gave us enough... I was mad when it was over. I was like, that's it. But I also was like, well, of course that's it. That makes the most sense. Mm. It's right for the story. Like Anakin wouldn't be able, and force ghosts don't connect all the time. They meet people at their time of need. And at what point is Luke going to be more in need than realizing the Sith are coming back and getting pulled across the force into onto a Sith planet where he's surrounded by these rays who are trying to to kill him. It's just no, yeah. beautifully crafted. No, there's a, there's a lot of integrity in this book in terms of he didn't do what he wanted. You you know that he did what he had to do. And by he, I mean Adam Christopher. Not but me. I don't think but he didn't do what he wanted. I think that's the thing. He yeah. did what he wanted, but he did it so intentionally that... You know, he's, he's someone where, B, I would love to have him on the show and really start to pick his, his brain a little bit of, you know... 
where did you have to, as a Star Wars fan, as a writer, stop yourself from going off for seven chapters? You know, the way you would do with Anakin, the way I would have done really more so on um, different visions that he was having of, of like the Viceroy and, and whatnot. I would love to hear his thoughts and how he directed himself throughout this. Yeah, that would be fascinating. Yeah. I want to close out our our conversation with the the Sith worshiper uh Kiza who's taken mm. over by the mask of Exum Panchard. Um thoughts? And you know me. I'm going to say you know me. I love a good symbolic mask. Um, first and first and foremost. Um but I thought that was a a really interesting character because again it would have been so easy to do something else you know it would have been so easy to have these crazy twists and turns and can you trust them can you not i thought that she was just a very upfront here i am you know what you're getting but it's not going to be boring it's still going to be interesting character um so i'm really happy with the way she turned out and where she took the story yeah and i mean we've kind of gotten a trend of these Sith items, particularly masks, mm-hmm. like with uh, with Momin from the comics, that hold on to the spirit, if you will, yeah. of the Sith, right? It's not a Force ghost because they're clinging to it desperately, trying... It, it's Voldemort-like, just trying to stay a little bit alive until they can figure out the next thing, whereas a Force ghost is at peace and is fully realized. But it's a trend that I like, and I think... The more that we get stuff like this in in intentional ways, like the moment stuff in the comics is not just in there because it makes like cool comic content. It adds a lot of depth to Anakin's story, to Vader's story. And the same thing here with uh, Panshard's mask and the battle that Luke has against it. So I, I would love to see them take this and take it to the next level and ha- tie it into Kylo Ren's mask. And have like part of that be tied to some Sith, some old Sith, which made it easier to corrupt him, right? Because, again, Star Wars is mythology, so it's not that we are blaming the the masks for the bad decisions the characters make. Like that, having this evil object doesn't make it justifiable to go around killing people, but. It's a symbol of the change that's happening and the thing that is overtaking the character, you know? And with so many masks in Star Wars, you can do so much with it. Mm-hmm. So I mm-hmm. love that this theme is coming around and is being repeated. And it's not being repeated in a way that is, hey, remember moment? Elbow, elbow, wink, wink to those of you that read the comics. It was, oh, okay, I've seen this before. This is just a repeated thing, but he's doing something and crafting it for this story and what makes sense for what he's saying about the Force. And particularly, you know, it's called Shadow of the Sith. And I think the biggest through line in this entire book is how the Sith corrupt. They corrupt Ochi through the the dagger. They corrupt Kiza through the mask. They, you know, they corrupt the galaxy through splitting up Rey's family. Because of their, you know, need for power, they put Luke at risk and send him down a direction where he's going to become more and more distant from the people that he cares about, which his strength comes from the people that he cares about. We know that's the strength of the Skywalker. So if they do that, they corrupt him even more. It's just... I, I, I mean, I don't I, I don't know what else to say. The title, I, I mean, I have to say, I think of all of the weird cryptic titles that we've gotten recently this is like the most straightforward but still cool where it's just like yeah no of course this is what it's called yeah absolutely and and like god it's so cool like the sith stuff is always fascinating because we don't get that much sith lore we get a whole ton of jedi lore uh we don't have a lot of of sith stuff like we see some stuff in clone wars we have, you know, little bits here and there. We got some backstory for the Rise of Skywalker novel and everything like that. But to get something where we delve this much into the Sith is something that yeah. hasn't yeah. been done in the new but, canon, and I appreciate but it. But that's why between that, the the exploring of the lore, 
the fast paced adventure while still being somewhat of a character study. This is one of the very, very, very few books, legend and canon, that I think is meant for everyone. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I am not like I say, I say it all the time to certain books. Like I, I get why other people like it. It's just not for me. This I right. think is for everyone. Well, and that's kind of with legends. I'm kind of at the. It's it's cool. It's an adventure book, but I I just don't know if that's what I go to Star Wars for. And this book will please the the legends fans who like that style. Let's just go on an adventure with our heroes and see them do cool things and all of that stuff right it satisfies the people who come for the lore it satisfies Mm -hmm. the people who come for the little bits that tie things together it satisfies the people like myself who come for character depth and character studies like all of these things that we shout out these different books for doing individually this does it all together and i don't know about you but i kind of feel like maybe this might actually be a five out of five for me after talking. I am going to refrain from giving it a five out of five purely for the fact that that is the pantheons of master and apprentice and brotherhood. And I, I know. I don't know if I would put it there quite yet, All but right. I would give it a solid 4.5. All right, all right, take with, what I can get. With with the potential of a five out of five upon reread. All right, fair. And depending some, on what other things come out and build on. Right. This. Like, there yeah. were some lower points where, like, at certain points I felt like, all right, cool, they missed them again. Can we go to the part where mm-hmm. we, uh, you know, figure out what's happening? And I'm kind of at a weird point with the ending, because the ending is unsatisfying, but it also is supposed to be because the story yeah. is not over. And that's just a harder thing to wrap your head around where it's like, all right, the story just kind of ends. But of I, course get, it I does. very much get what you're saying. So, that makes total, total sense. It's good stuff. If you haven't read it yet. You are fully spoiled, but now you know. <laughs> Go read this book. It's been it's been a hot minute since we've had a release of this many books together, back to back to back, that have just absolutely crushed it. So it's a good time for Star Wars literature. So our next episode, we will be talking about The Princess and the Scoundrel. And uh, after that, we will be getting into Padawan. So if you are not caught up on those, that is your uh, reading homework. You will enjoy it, I promise. Any final thoughts on Shadow of the Sith? Read it. Just just read it. Yeah. <laughs> you have to. And if you know, anybody knows Adam Christopher, <laughs> ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. Uh, and you can also find us on Twitter, uh, at ClashingSabers, also on Instagram and TikTok under the same handle. Uh, Lindsay, where are you at? Best place to find me is over on our Facebook group. Um, if you want to argue with me, agree with me on anything Shadow of the Sith or otherwise, um, anything that I've said on this show or even on one of our other shows, um, Sith Talk. Uh, so definitely feel free to go go to our Facebook group and mention me, and I'm more than happy to chat about any of this. And if you are like the two of us and you love Star Wars and you love Star Wars books, uh, help us put some books into the hands of kids. Uh, we have a Patreon that is growing and growing all the time. It's just still mind-boggling to me how many people are uh, are there to support us and, and what we do about putting Star Wars books into classrooms. And uh, I know the Uvalde kids uh, went back to school today for the first time, and there are Star Wars books waiting for them to read thanks to all of our amazing patrons and those of who donated uh, VR fundraisers and everything. So these books are, they're fun to have in the classroom. They get kids excited about reading, but we're also able, thanks to, to all of you guys, to make a real impact with that, and we don't take that for granted. So if you are not there already, go over and check it out. And we also have some really cool uh, commentaries. So if you want to pair this up with a nice glass of Rise of Skywalker commentary, mm-hmm. you can get Drew and Lindsay together there uh over on our patreon so until next time when we talk about the princess and the scoundrel 
Keep reading, keep writing, but whatever you do, don't burn the sacred text. All Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of the Clashing Sabers network and ClashingSabers.net. All licensed sounds and images are the property of their respective copyright holders and are used for informational and educational purposes only. For more information on our nonprofit or to nominate a teacher, go to ClashingSabers.net. For questions or inquiries, please email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. You're just going to walk away?